Rose-Hinted Review, the show where every week we pick something that we have nostalgia for. We then revisit it and review it to find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose-tinted glasses. I'm Connor O'Keen and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Michael Jobaz. Michael, how are you doing? Hello, Connor. I've brought you a gift. <laughs> what is it? It's a crystal. Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, this is a fucking audio podcast. It is an audio podcast. So this podcast. is lost on you people, but goddamn, he held up a shiny like crystal ball, ball. thing. It's Except purple. It's purple, it's not clear. But but that's that's nice, and that's also very you because I know you, you quite like purple. I like purple colors, but yes, I have a little crystal that David Bowie uses. I'm not. Can very, you do the um the thing? I feel like I'm gonna fucking, like smash the microphone. Yeah, you're absolutely, with you're absolutely gonna do something tragic <laughs> with this shit. Hey, <laughs> hey. All right, there was a brief second where that looked pretty dang cool, ladies and germs. Uh, we are hitting Labyrinth, the 18... Sorry, fucking 1896, you <laughs> 1986 musical fantasy film directed by Jim Henson uh, with George Lucas as executive producer based on conceptual designs by Brian Froud. Uh, revolves around 16-year-old Sarah's quest to reach the centre of an enormous otherworldly maze to rescue her infant brother Toby, whom Sarah wished away to Jareth, the Goblin King, played by David Bowie. So, uh, as mentioned at the end of last week's episode, I have not watched this movie since I was probably four. And you didn't Uh, even get through it then. No, I, well, no, I watched it. I definitely watched the whole thing. Okay. And as I was watching it this time, it was kind of coming coming back to me a bit, um, certain certain scenes. But it scared the piss out of me as a kid, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so much so that I was like, I'm never watching that again. And I haven't. So going back to it was, it, it was funny. I was at, at the start, I was like, I totally get why I didn't want to watch this movie yeah. again as a kid. This is like bizarre and confronting. I don't in, think in if ways. you said to anybody, oh, Labyrinth scared me as a kid, nobody's mm. responsibility. What? How? Why was that? Like, in what yeah, way? Yeah, yeah, Everyone yeah, totally. would understand that immediately. Yeah. <laughs> be like, yeah. yeah, it's pretty fucked up for kids. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty weird and wild. But I know so many people, I have so many friends who this movie was a really significant part of their childhood or uh, has since become a favourite. There's a huge, uh, like, cult following Absolutely around it. Although cult, I, I don't know... Following. Um, it, would you call it a, a cult classic? Like, I don't really know much about this film. I think I haven't you would call it a cult research. classic because, uh, you know, you got your Jim Henson fans that come from the Muppets. I mm. believe it didn't actually do very well at the box office. Um, so I don't think it was particularly critically well received at the time. And it's grown that following uh, post release. Sure. So yeah, I, okay. I think cult well, I mean, following is very accurate. Okay, cool. Uh, I mean, that, that feels accurate. Um, I have been to a labyrinth themed masquerade ball thing Fuck in yeah. a in a bar somewhere in melbourne uh, they, they, yeah they played no no uh but oh. they did play the soundtrack all night and there were there was at least one cunt walking around with a crystal ball doing the doing fucking that, yeah. hand thing all night uh he Wonderful. looked like like um i mean you gotta have your hobbies and that's good he's got his he's got his uh his crystal ball hobby uh i don't know how 
how much that helped him in his day-to-day goings on, but good for him. Uh, so tell me about your your uh, experience of this movie because you were quite excited to be hitting this one. I was ex- very excited. I was a very young child, uh, probably four or five years old when I first saw it, and it mm-hmm. also creeped me out and scared me. Um, I remember it vividly, although I don't think I watched it all the way through or I missed some of it. So I was at we were having our... Um, very first kind of school camp. Uh, okay. In, in it was either prep or, or grade one, but instead of actually going on camp, it was mm. a sleepover at the primary school in mm-hmm. the oval yards with tents. Ah, cool. Uh, and so I believe I got quite homesick, and I wanted mm-hmm. to go home. I uh, wasn't having a fun time. And so I remember because my mum came the next morning and like dropped off my brothers because they just had like regular class while just our year level was doing doing a it was the sleepover in the tents and then it was they chucked on labyrinth. Uh, okay. So it, it definitely creeped me out and definitely gave me even more motivation to try and plead with my mother to let me come home because I didn't want to stay <laughs> and watch the movie. <laughs> so that's how I would have I missed a chunk of it. I goblin king. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it is uh, – I'm very fond of it now, but that was much more uh, in my teenage years mm-hmm. that, I, that fondness grew for me. Yeah, and watching it again – it's so obvious. I feel like I'm a I feel like I'm a mark for this this movie. Oh, absolutely, dude. Yeah, yeah, it's, dude. It's crazy how many elements are all coming together. So you've got your obviously very storyteller-esque feeling uh mm-hmm. world and aesthetic because it's also made by Jim Henson, as well as the story being heavily inspired by fairy tales, but then it mm-hmm. also has the very strong Alice in Wonderland mm. inspiration vibes, which I'm also a huge fan of Alice in Wonderland. Throw in some beautiful puppets. I'm a huge fan of puppets. And then yep. top it all off with David Bowie, like my prob- uh, like my favourite artist, probably. Yeah, yeah. I've it, talked it's... about not liking music and not listening to music uh, on the podcast before. David Bowie's mm-hmm. like maybe the one exception. The exception to the rule, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so it's just, uh, yeah, it's absolutely just an amalgamation of everything together that's really sick uh so yeah definitely 15 onwards like rewatched the movie really enjoyed it then watched it like dozens of times in those those older teenage years and a very good friend of mine who were both in the drama class and all that jazz jack he he and i over a school holidays i think in year 11 mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. went and did a circus class thing at a university that was really cool fun because we got to like stay in it because we were from the country and so we got to go Uh into Melbourne and for like the week and a half two weeks we were staying in like a little apartment and we were like we're cool we're being adults like we're going ah that sounds really cool to this thing so it was a fairly free form circusy gymnasticky whatever thing and one of the dudes there was was doing this contact juggling and I was Ah, like holy fuck that's from Labyrinth. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, man, it's called contact juggling and it's a real thing. And I was like, no fucking way. I thought it was just a bloody cool effect. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, contact juggling. And he showed me kind of the basics. And so I spent that mm-hmm. entire two weeks practicing 
my contact juggling so I could be as cool as Jareth, the Goblin King. <laughs> that's fucking cool. <laughs> uh, that's dope. And I haven't practiced in years and years and so that's why I bloody dropped the thing and <laughs> nearly smashed it in my computer. <laughs> Literally okay. only for you because nobody else could see. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, dude, watching this movie, I can, I mean, it's no wonder it's, got such a following and such a uh, a dedicated fan base and continues to inspire and thrill audiences uh young and old today like god damn the amount of love and care that's gone into i mean every facet of this movie it, it's something to behold uh I, I think the like the the set design and the the puppets and like all the aspects of of production design are um really beautifully realized some things especially like with some of the puppets they're quite fugly looking oh yeah absolutely fugly is the the best way to describe some of these puppets even like hoggle's face it's real it's, fugly it's, it's fucking grotty but it's so it's so detailed like yeah. it, it has so much character i can really understand looking at hoggle's face uh, and the makeup on John Hurd in The Storyteller, where mm. that original concept was that the storyteller was going to be a puppet and not played by a person. Yeah, definitely. You can see definitely. that it's like, oh, yep, they did that with Hoggle. That's what they might have done with the show if they didn't go in that yeah. direction. And seeing Hoggle's face and seeing the amount of character they managed to instill in it, like the little eyebrow movements and very uh, – they managed to make um, – Make it feel uh, like it's very emotive, even though it's super emotive and su- it super. Has, it's human. very basic articulation. Yeah, but it communicates so much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it kind of makes you go, "Oh, that that actually that totally would have worked." I'm glad they got John Hurt in makeup. Yeah, but absolutely. Fuck. And Hoggle is the voice of uh, Brian Henson, who is also the voice of the storyteller's dog. <laughs> it's basic, ah, cool. Basically, the same it's the same voice for both roles. <laughs> ah, neato. It's it's a strange voice. It kind of like flips between like very British and kind of American sounding. Yeah, yeah. It feels like he, he couldn't decide on an accent. Yeah, Hoggles um, is a little I bit more wishy washy. It works to to sound kind of uh, like otherworldly. Totally. Um, yeah. Like it is. It's always kind of strange when there's like fantasy things and it's like they talk with with really distinct American accents. Mm, yeah. You know, you go, what the fuck? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I like. What do you call it? Honorable mention that they misname him as Hogwart multiple times. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, oh, true. I'm looking at you, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I see, I see what you're doing there. I see you, J.K. Imagine if uh, Hoggle was the headmaster of Hogwarts. <laughs> it was actually <laughs> named shit. after him. Holy shit! <laughs> Joined universes. That'd be wild. Yeah, the movie as a whole, in almost every single aspect and facet, is just so just dripping and oozing with creativity. Mm. Uh, and you can see the the effort that everyone poured into it, uh, Where which makes this thing that on paper, like I said, it's classic folk tales, your brother's grim sort of fairy tales, Alice mm. in Wonderland, all wrapped up together. Like all of the elements that it's based off of are derivative in a way, but they mm. completely transform it into something fresh and original and not just a ripoff of something. Yeah, absolutely. It's that perfect and kind of level of you can see uh, where they got their inspiration from and what they're paying mm. homage to, but yeah, it doesn't feel like they're just uh, make it like trying to turn an easy 
dollar or copying no, it. No, no, none of it feels disingenuous. It all it all feels like it's coming from a real genuine love and and we say this a lot, but a real reverence for that uh, for the source material um, or the it's not source material for the the things that uh, inspired it or informed aspects of the the world that they created. And and I, I really like like the 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 stuff at the start with uh, Sarah and the stepmom and the dad and stuff. It seems kind of paper thin. It seems kind of like a just a, a way to get us into this this magical world and stuff. But if you look at the set design of of, of her room and stuff, there's so much. It has that kind of hot fuzz thing where you look at the different posters or the things in her mm. room, and it all kind of comes back in one way or another. Yeah, hundred no, percent. It's it's all. It's a. It is actually a good ama- a good ab- amount of character introduction that. Yeah, it and, starts and with the fake out like, that she's dressed up in the thing and she's doing the monologue, <laughs> and you think, yeah, it's yeah, a fantasy, cool. and then it's just like, no, she's just a teenage girl like reading from a book. She's yeah, she's just playing, yeah. uh, and, and then, then and kind of going like, oh, is she preparing for a play or something? And then when you get to her house and she's like, kind of a bitch to her step stepmom, but like immediately I was like. Jesus Christ, like, you're a bit of a cunt. But then, like, you get to her room and you see all the clippings of, of uh, her mum was an actress. Uh, I don't know. Presumably she's dead or fucked off or classic, something. Um, and you kind of go, oh, okay, there's a reason. stepmother Yeah, sort of yeah, or, like, riffing on that a little bit because the mum isn't unreasonable or, no, or she's nasty. Not, she's trying her best. But it, it, it's like that we can we know that from her, like, point of view, She's very yeah, yeah. much enthralled in all of those things and a, and a fan yeah. of that stuff. So that's yeah, yeah. how she sees that's the world. That's informing her. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it's like the self-aware comment that the stepmother makes where she says, like, she treats yeah, me like an like evil she, stepmother. Mm. Uh, and it's 100% that she's just being the unreasonable bitchy one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then we get that that, that shot of you the, can tell the scrapbook. You kind of go, oh, okay, she's, like, you know, probably hurting a bit and stuff. She's not complete. She's not, like, unsympathetic. No, but also we can see that difficult. she's very immature for her age in some aspects. The way that her bedroom is decorated, yeah, yeah, and the um, like the the toys and just her general, yeah, the soft uh, toys attitude. and stuff. Like you think that that would be an appropriate bedroom for like a thirteen year old, but she's more like sixteen going on seventeen. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I like that the the story kind of in true like fable kind of fashion is her having to grow up more or less or like uh, realize that all these things that she's, I mean, the first thing that she has to do is not take things for granted Yeah. to, to like find her way through the maze. And then it kind of uh, the, the bit later where she's back in her room, but it's all fake and the the like garbage woman or oh whatever God, she, the hoarder she is, thing. the hoarder is like Jeez, that, being that, like oh look no look there's this thing and there's this thing oh there's the the doll you remember this one and there's this and she's like wait no this is all junk yeah I don't need any that of this. scene is crazy I remember it's you still feel uncomfortable watching it but I had super uncomfortable weird feelings watching that there's a lot of moments in this movie that you enjoy watching the movie and then mm-hmm. when you look back at it you go uh, I don't. I don't think fondly of those moments because they didn't mm. really make me happy watching it. They yeah. made me feel weird and awkward. And the, those little hoarders and she's, the way that she's stacking stuff on her back is like turning yeah, her into go, one oh, of them. Oh, she's doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was a they, cool touch. They remind me of bloody those those bloody uh, hunchback pilgrims from the intro from of Dark, Dark Souls? Souls 3. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's fucking Dark so Souls stuff. I was like, dude, I want a Dark Souls game with a Jim Henson <laughs> aesthetic. 
Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. But yeah, it's very much one of those sort of coming of age uh, fairy tale things. Like, you know, your Little Red Riding Hood has that subtext of a girl becoming a woman, all of that Mm. jazz. Uh, But they're much, generally much younger aged in traditional fairy tales because uh, kids grew up sooner back then because they were getting Mm. fucking married off to people when they were 13 years old. So that was uh, how it was at the time. And then this, she's a bit older and it, it, it is, it's not just like Hot Fuzz where it's like, oh, there's like little hints in the room. It's like, no, literally everything in the room is all of this stuff is like she put uh, is an amalgamation in her subconscious yeah, and makes yeah, this world. Yeah. I didn't notice this time. I'd seen most of it. Like obviously there's the bloody picture on the wall that's the crazy staircase. The the is the MC Escher yeah. stairs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I didn't notice that one of the newspaper clippings on the like slotted in the side of a mirror is literally a picture of David Bowie, and it says like, "No shit," and it says like, "Oh, the," because it's like a newspaper clicking clipping of this like oh, on stage kiss. Oh, from this. Uh, that's David Bowie. Ah, oh. yeah, I never noticed it before. Ah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, because she's got the she's got like a Jareth Goblin King statue thing on the yeah, on the desk yeah. there. Uh, but mm. so it's literally her as this just going through puberty sort of high school girl. Uh, she's obsessed with this uh, fantasy fairy tale stuff. She's acting this stuff out herself and performing it. So she's like aspiring actress. So mm-hmm. she's looking up at this like hunky adult male, and she's you know she's like fantasizing about him. So he mm. literally becomes the fantasy in this in this fairy yeah, tale story. That's really cool. And there's the little. It almost looks like one of those wind up ballerina thingies but it's her mm. in that b- ball gown dress when she gets yeah, yeah. poisoned is and uh the little red monster puppet guys that pull their heads off and throw them around the the she's got a, yeah she's got a soft yeah. toy of that is literally everything in her room is just packed to the mm. brim with those those things yeah yeah and it like yeah even the the literally the book that she's reading that she's doing the monologue from is called the labyrinth yeah uh, so this is all like in her head. She's like, yeah, combined all of these things that she's thinking about into this little story. Um, but yeah, because she's a bit older, it's got that sexual awakening, weird vibes to it that traditional fairy tales don't have. Yeah, and that's you what really gives the, it a different, uh, um, a different tone. Yeah, especially you mentioned the the bit where she's in the ball gown and 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 stuff. Like that's a that's a that's a weird scene. I, I love it. It's fucking beautifully shot, and the song is is mm. great. The uh, when the world falls down, yeah. uh, it's a it's a really yeah. cool sequence. But you do go, oh, she's a uh, she's a child. It's very much this is a child fantasizing about these adult uh, love yeah. story things when yeah, she doesn't yeah, really yeah. Understand, understand them properly. So yeah, watching that as a younger child, mm-hmm. definitely confusing and weird feeling. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a lot of creepy stuff and then there's a lot of like sexual changes and hormone stuff that you're like, this yeah. is weird. I don't understand this. I think too, like it, it's it's strange because it manages to have that uh, slightly weird vibe in like a modern kind of coming of age story way while also having the more uh, old school, the kind of perverse quality that, that those Grimm's fairy tales kind of things have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just in the in those scenes, like with the hoarder and stuff, where it does make you feel kind of off, and it is kind of weird and yeah, uh, creep. Like it has a it has a creepy kind of dirty uh, quality to it. Yeah, I think that's also because when you look at those classic 
fairy tales, the moral that Little Red Riding Hood is trying to teach is kind of lost on us now. Mm. And you can only kind of go, okay, that's, there's this and there's that and there's some religious connotation-y things thrown onto it as well. Okay. But you're like, I don't... Our culture has changed so much that this kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah, it might not have rung as quite as perverse. Uh, and that's kind of, or, yeah, why it feels strange. perverse. Yeah, it's this yeah. like weirdness. So it's like, I don't understand this because it's preparing young girls for a society that no longer exists, that we have very different yeah. values now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. And even the more friendly, whimsical aspects of this movie still has a kind of strange grime to it. Like, oh, what's, totally. the, what's the big giant called? Ludo? Ludo? Yeah, Ludo. Even he's fugly and he's the big, cute, cuddly <laughs> bear thing in the movie. Yeah, it's definitely, it's not your classic Muppet uh, felt, all nice looking. Yeah, it's no, it's that, all this weird, fleshy, leathery yeah, kind leathery of material. Yeah, leathery latex and, mm. and real fur, like hairy fur, like of monsters, mm. not, mm-hmm. not of these little Muppets. Kermit just has a little spiky thing around his neck. Yeah, It's just yeah. like a one piece of fabric. And you're like, oh, that's nice. But yeah, the de- the designs are just gorgeous, and I love the I like the mixture of that reverence for the fairy tale and then the reverence for the Alice in Wonderland qualities. Because a mm-hmm. lot of people they just sort of I think it's also the Disney uh, quality the effect where they adapted Alice in Wonderland into an animated film the same way that they were doing classic fairy tales, and so people sort of bunch Alice in Wonderland in with a fairy tale, even though it sort of comes from a different definitely a different time and a sort of different sure. point of view so b- before you go on i'm uh I-, I was excited to to get your thoughts on this one and to kind of pick your brain on this one because mm-hmm. i'm not at all uh well versed in in that stuff i have a very surface level understanding of fairy tales and their historical context and stuff mm-hmm. uh so i was excited to hear uh, more of that from you so keep going with that thought but l- explain that like bearing in mind that I don't know what the fuck you're talking about when it comes to like talking about Alice in Wonderland and stuff. I, I don't know any of that stuff. So school me. Sure. So. And potentially our audience. <laughs> no, nah, I'll just, I'll just focus on you first and then <laughs> the audience get that's a, a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess what I mean is fairy tales are, you know, you got your Goldilocks, you got your rules of three, all of that stuff. The mm. way that they're kind of structured, like in the storyteller, they're these little stories that have morals or whatever that are te- supposed to teach people, uh, stranger danger, beware of this. Sure. They've got those little fable sort of punchlines of, you know, like you said, learning about, caring about, like valuing the shit that she has instead of instead of just like wishing for this like, oh, everything's shit. I want yeah. this better life. I want to be simped by a older David Bowie <laughs> instead of being instead of realizing like waking up and going like, oh shit, this is this is how the world is, and I'm being a bit of a brat about it. Yeah, uh, which I, I love the her realizing like she's constantly complaining that it's not fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And David and Bowie the- has that great line where he says, "You say that so often. I wonder what your basis for comparison is." <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. there's a bit where someone where another character is it, it might be uh hoggle is like that's not fair and, and she's, she's like, like that's right it's yeah. not it's like yeah, yeah that's 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 the rules of this world that's the rules of the real yeah. world so alice in wonderland isn't a fairy tale in that sense that it doesn't really teach the character anything of importance okay it's this uh genre called nonsense literature and okay. it's more it has a little bit more um commentary on the time it was written and there was some 
mathematical theory, but it was not really mathematical, but it was about uh, people explaining things through logic and Lewis Carroll was like, that's fucking stupid and ridiculous that your like so-called logical thoughts are like making, you're making scientific rules off of this like, oh, logical thought argument that doesn't actually make any sense and isn't grounded in anything. So he made these kind of satirical poems and stories kind Mm -hmm. of um, in, in protest to that sort of as a commentary. And then the other side okay. of it is a similar to a fairy tale in appearance because Alice mm. is sort of that same age as a Goldilocks or a Little Red Riding Hood or something like that, that that classic young girl archetype from a fairy tale. But it's it's like a wacky dream sequence exploration. It's the other thing that people okay. uh, incorrectly lump Alice in Wonderland with is being like, oh, dude, it's an acid trip. It's all about being on drugs. And you're like, no, you fucking stupid you're just <laughs> you're just seeing the imagery and basing it off of that without actually having the context of when it was written and who it was written by and sure. what he was actually basing it on and it was it had nothing to do with drugs because no, dreams are MD. fucking stupid and trippy and uh that's what all of that uh time and space kind of warping around you mm-hmm. that she'll walk through a hallway and then turn around and then suddenly it's a dead end where she came sure. from because in dreams you know your your brain's going you're in this house and it, you're thinking you're having a dream about your house, but it's and the whole time you're convinced and you're like, yes, I'm in my house, except it looks nothing like your house yeah, in the yeah. dream. And then you open a door random. and it's a completely different place. And completely different like place. But your brain has just convinced you that it's like, yes, this is this. And you're like, okay. And so a lot of the her dream sequence is based around a lot of the things that are around that are around Alice. So she plays outside in the garden a lot. So there's things about the caterpillar and the flowers talk to her. Um, yeah, yeah to when they would have like their very um, proper parties and entertain people, you know, you would have parlor games of chess and card games and stuff. And so that's mm-hmm. that's where those characters come from with the, the Red Queen and the Queen of Hearts and all that stuff. But it's basically just her going through this like sort of magical quest that's this dream sequence that has all these really silly illogical things with made mm-hmm. up words. So when she's talking to the caterpillar, she has to recite uh, like a lesson that's like some dumb thing that kids would get taught that they would have mm-hmm. to recite some paragraph and the caterpillar like tells her that she's doing it wrong and it comes up with this silly different rhyming uh, lesson and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Alice in Wonderland comes out, hugely popular, just like a Twilight. There's a thousand people writing that same type of story essentially. If, right. if you go Twilight was a vampire love story, okay, now there's a million vampire love stories and the same thing kind of happened with Alice in Wonderland. And the other thing that this movie has a lot in common with is The Wizard of Oz, which is pretty much the most popular of those Alice in Wonderland imitations. Okay. Uh, which is, again, that it is all a dream sequence. It's all in her head. She goes to sleep and she dreams about these friends that, at least in the film, I'm not very familiar with the books, but it's like the Scarecrow and the Lion and the Tin Man are all played by people that work on her farm or whatever. Like they're people yeah. in the real world that represent yeah, yeah, yeah. things. And it's mm-hmm. just a, it's like this little magical quest that she has to go on and I need to get from here to here. Yeah. Hoggle's story is very similar to the Cowardly Lion of, you know, being a coward and having to like mm. learn courage to mm-hmm. help his friends. There's a little reference to that as well, that one of the uh, things that the, the, yeah. the little person's putting- Yeah, one of the books in her, her room back. is The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, she shoves that on her back is like making mm. the pile. So sort of in tone, all of the really wacky, weird stuff of coming to the door and there's the dudes there that have the riddle of one of us always lies and one of us always tells the truth and stuff, or, or even as simple as that beginning of the labyrinth where she has to- 
they say like yeah, straight through there is a way and it looks just like a flat wall and then once you walk oh, through it. That is one of my favourite effects. This optical that, illusion that actually thing. made me go, oh, like that, that elicited a, uh, a real... Because I'm pretty sure they just did that in camera. They lined it up perfectly. It, it looks fucking awesome, and dude. That's the thing. It's a You're really looking cool at it effect. the whole time. You're waiting for a transition to happen or something that you can see. That yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. it was a green screen. They swapped out the backplate. It's like, no. Yeah. It was like that the whole time. And and there's heaps of that stuff in this movie, that, that yeah. really cool practical stuff, which we'll get into, but, but continue. So all of those little wacky things, whenever she comes across a, some quirky character, like the, the old man with the bird attached to his head, and they have this- I love him. They have this funny little like back and forth or she's mm. talking to the door knockers. That's very yep. kind of similar to um, the scene in the Disney version. I don't think in the book she actually talks to the doorknob. I think that was an added thing in the Disney movie. But, yeah, she Alice talks to the doorknob and the doorknob's mm. like, no, no, I can't let you through. You need to find the key and it's up on the table and now you're small and you can't get there and all that that crap. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what all of the little adventures that she's having along the way really remind me of that really nonsensical silly logic yeah as she's discovering that stuff is the aspect of those stories where uh the stuff they're experiencing is informed by their actual real world lives is that like a commonality with with yeah like alice in wonderland nonsensical kind of alice in wonderland um, as well as um yeah wizard of oz that's that's sort of in both of those things i i feel like that's something not found in like typical fairy tales no. it's not usually a like a character experiencing something no you don't normally get that uh, sort of level of context in a fairy tale it's a very short yeah, brief yeah like oh hansel and gretel and they the, the parents threw, needed to get rid of them because they couldn't feed them yeah. so they ditched them in yeah. the forest yeah that's it's cool uh how like storytelling has like evolved has evolved and will continue to do so i guess but mm. like went from like really simple like bare bones like no this is a, a fable this is, has like a, a there's a moral to this story and stuff to okay here's here's this character here's all this context and now they're going on this journey yeah you know you can draw those direct comparisons and stuff and find uh meaning for the weird shit in the context that you're given and stuff yeah yeah totally because i think it comes from the fact that all of those fairy tales and folk tales back then were back when everything was a verbal education that none mm-hmm. of the, those stories weren't written down. They were, you know, told around. Told. The best place by the fire was kept for the storyteller. Um, <laughs> and then you get to the point of uh, Alice in Wonderland is kind of important because it doesn't seem, it seems kind of tame now to us. That you're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's this wacky adventure thing. People mm-hmm. were up in arms about that book when it came out. Wow. They were like, uh, this, is, this is nonsense. This is ridiculous. Like, it, it's that thing of that's less of a stigma now, but it's like, oh, he's an adult and he plays video games? Like, what's wrong mm. with him? He needs to grow up. Right, okay. The right, real world. Okay. Like, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. acceptable. That's something that children do. And a man that wrote this children's book mm-hmm. to, to entertain children with silly poems and stuff, with funny mm-hmm. sounding words, they were like, this is ridiculous. This is going to teach all of these children these bad, like, they, they, they needed yeah. to grow up being sensible and, and learning this shit. Right. Would it have been more that, like, like you said, there was no... Is there is there a, a moral or is there, like, a, a like a teachable... Not really. ...quality to Alice in Wonderland? She just, does she learn anything? She, no, not really. She just kind of has okay. all of these weird adventures, meets all these really wacky, inventive characters that are silly and yeah. then wakes up. Yeah. I was like, oh, and that was fun. it's just kind of for the sake of... Just for the sake of having fun. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's that's like, no, no, that's not on. good. It's like when bloody all those angry mums took 
doomed to Congress because of how violent that video game was. It's like <laughs> that level of sort of shit that everyone's like, oh no, if you if you read Alice in Wonderland, that'll rot your brain and it's terrible. Ah, that's funny. Wow, that's that's really cool. And it, it makes me appreciate just how I, I guess the the lineage of storytelling that this movie manages to cram into its, you know, hour 45 runtime. Yeah, totally. Because all of those amazing puppets just feel like new inventive ways of doing those kind of wacky characters. Yeah. So instead of Tweedledee and Tweedledum, you've got, you know, whichever, insert any cool thing in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Or like, I mean, Like you've got the, um, oh God, what were they called? The two dudes at the doors who one always tells a lie and, and one always tells the truth. Like that's a classic riddle, but then having yeah, them, yeah. they're holding a shield and there's actually two of them. Like the yeah, red shield yeah. has two dudes and one head, he's hanging upside down and he pops up from un- underneath the shield and the other mm. one's head pops up from over the top. Yeah. And it's just so, it's so cool and so seamless that you just, yeah. you just, it just keeps you guessing the whole time. of like, how the hell do they even puppeteer that? Yeah. It's really, yeah. really inventive. The the doorknobs as well are really cool where the knocker is through the ears of one of them so he's deaf and, the, <laughs> he's and then deaf one's in his one mouth so he talk. can't talk. There's the helping hands, which is really creepy. The helping hands is probably one of my favourite sequences. Uh, they, they had like over, I feel like it was like 90 people doing the sets of hands. Wow. And they're That's really cool. pretty much physically holding her up. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I, like they might have there might have been a wire. Can't remember exactly. It's been a while since I've watched all the bonus features, mm-hmm. but yeah, and the the level of of um, rehearsal that had to go into them doing the all of the the ma- the different face oh, shapes with yeah. all the hands because yeah. most of them involve like three sets of hands, mm-hmm. and they've got their arms in these big gloves sticking out of the wall. They can't mm-hmm. see the shit they're doing. Good grief! It's, yeah, the it's amount of crazy. Um, uh, care and and stuff that's gone into puppeting, even aspects, sorry, even elements of the set. Like one of my favourite bits is where she's walking through that first bit of the labyrinth and there's that like bushel of eyes. Yeah. Just like that follow her and it doesn't lead to anything. It's just a really cool little little bit of world building that lasts, excuse me, lasts all of, you know, three seconds. Yeah, that's right. And we get the little, the cool little worm. But it looks amazing. Sitting next to those eyes. Yeah. Closer up, look at it. Did you say Hello. No, I said hello, but that's close enough. The false alarms is another like built into the set. All of the stone faces. Being oh, like, Beware, yes, yeah, yeah. You're going the wrong yeah, way. Yeah. Or like those little dudes living under the tiles that just oh. keep flipping the tiles as she's riding yeah, on them. And so that doesn't cool. fucking go anywhere or come anywhere. It's just like. No, that's right. It's purely just. just it's just these creatures that live in this world. It, it really looks like instead of just being like, okay, who are the characters? What's the, the quest that they need to go on? They were like, yeah, but there's all this space here in the frame. What are we going to do mm. with it? Let's just fucking yeah. put cool shit everywhere, cool characters. Yeah. And just so much time and effort's put into the design of everything. You're just like, this yeah, is- Yeah, oh. yeah. And, and like really uh, inventive and they find uh, opportunities for like humour and, and levity in in like the darker moments. Like the, what, what's the, is it the cleaner or something? The, yeah, the um, cleaner's. The like big drill oh, thing. Oh yeah, that's so cool. Uh, and and you're like, holy shit! And then as it goes past, when they like <laughs> manage to just side. narrowly avoid it, the other side is just like a big fucking. Uh, what's that? What's the big bicycle called again? The, the like old a penny one? farthing. Penny farthing. It's <laughs> like a big fucking penny farthing with a drill on it. Yeah. And these little goblins on it. There's little goblins. One's the couple of them are pedaling for it to go forward, and then another yeah, one's like one's on winding top. it to make yeah. it make the drill spin. 
yeah, yeah. That's, that stuffs are all really cool and I loved I loved looking at like all the different uh, puppets and and costumes and stuff and wondering like where does the where's the prosthetic begin and the human or, or like where's the prosthetic end sorry and the and the the actor begin yeah uh what parts of this is just being puppeted and what parts of it is someone in a suit um like the dude with the bird for a for a hat um that's you know talking at him and they're talking you gotta go sometimes you gotta yep. go backwards to go forwards or whatever that whole outfit and face was so emotive yeah. Even though he's just kind of like mumbling and bumbling, he's a he's a kooky old man and stuff. But still, like the little eyebrow raises and like yeah, the, and the, when the they way, bicker, the way what yeah, and when they bicker and because it keeps interrupting like, him and he's like you uh, you finished yeah 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 exactly. And when when he's like uh, you know when he's dispensing wisdom. Uh, like one of the eyes uh, opens <laughs> just a little bit wider than the other, and yeah. it's that little little one percent things everywhere in this movie. Yeah, it's like it's like all of these little imperfections that they give all of the the characters. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not like yeah, a clean, the, the imperfections, symmetrical thing about anything. It's all mm. it's all like chipped away and worn and tattered and grimy and yeah. Even like the you look at the the like the bricks and everything in the sets. And it all has that kind of worn down, like this place is, you know, as old as time sort yeah, of thing. Totally. Yeah. Jennifer Connelly's, um, her like inner monologue as well is really cool. That's a, that's a very Alice in Wonderlandy thing of like talking to herself, like recognizing all these weird things and calling them out. That's mm-hmm. the classic line that uh, Alice has where she says curiouser and curiouser. Yeah. And she's very much got a lot of those lines as well. She does a really good job with them because it's really fucking hard to just be carrying that yourself and being like, Oh, which way am I going to go? Oh, I'm not making any progress. All of this stuff, like, yeah, that stuff yeah, can making, feel like, really forced. Yeah, making that um, somehow compelling and not annoying yeah. is yeah. Uh, is a feat, and she she does it really well. Yeah, and then along the way, she's meeting all of these friends, and she's like growing gradually. Yeah, you get this really nice, like, slow organic learning through all of these little situations. Yeah, you get all these these wonderful. Uh, scenes and and all these beautiful practical effects and and anything that's kind of digital or composited well, and stuff well, composited and stuff uh looks great for the most part and then there's the the fiery scene yeah that looks really fucking dodgy by today's standards it's um they they stand out too much against the background because the lighting yeah. doesn't match it it's actually yeah. a very very good uh key for such a furry animal yeah, when I you mean, think of bad green screen, because what they actually yeah, did was it yeah, was a absolutely. black velvet background. Okay, and I think it was along the lines of that kind of thing where they could only expose them into the film, and it was like a double exposure effect instead of uh, "oh, this is done with green screen." Sure. So, d- can you do you know the reasoning behind doing it that way instead of shooting it on a set? Because like, yes, because those the- puppets were so involved. Because they're like full body puppets and most of the characters in this movie are either little people in costumes or like a gigantic Mm. person in a costume in terms of Ludo. Yeah, right. Or the characters like the doorknobs and the helping hands and the the riddle door guys, they don't move. They just stand in the one place. So in order to puppeteer these guys, especially when they start getting pulled apart, they have like three or four dudes holding all of the different body parts. And mm-hmm. so they're all in black velvet outfits as well so that they're like keying out all of the puppeteers right, okay. for that scene. So that's why that that background 
had to be replaced and they couldn't do it just on a on a practical set like everything else is. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Okay. That's that's the thing that really stands out in that scene. Yeah, I mean, it's the only thing the movie. really in the in the movie that that stands out. Yeah, otherwise it's like it's like me. tiny little things like when she um when she throws the chair against the the glass ball. Yeah, uh, yeah, and stuff out. like that. For a split second, the, the shards of looks, glass look a little goofy. Yeah, but it looks of of the time. Um, the the CGI owl in the opening credits is pretty bad. <laughs> That's pretty fucking dodgy. Yeah. Which is actually the first time a fully computer generated character was ever rendered on screen. Really? Not character animal, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to like shit on it. Like you obviously cut it some slack and stuff. I actually really like the the glass shattering. The bit where she like runs up and it's and it's like the reflection and stuff of her all warped. Um, looks looks. Uh, a little bit shit but when she like smashes the chair and the the glass like flies at the uh at the screen they make it work by having the the set and everyone like flying around so they manage to kind of distract you with practical effects yeah, yeah they do and that's, that's and, what and i was then saying fling about- a bunch of a bunch of like conf- it looks like shredded paper and shit but it's to you know simulate like glass and stuff flying i guess and it, it manages to sell the effect and that's the thing, like because the glass crack uh, is only for a couple stuff, of as long as you, seconds. yeah, exactly. It, it's it's uh, using practical elements to like sell the visual effect is more important than mm. the visual effect itself being particularly uh, shit hot. Yeah, totally. I also speaking of honorable mention to practical effects, the contact juggling. They got the dude that I believe invented it to perform it. Ah, cool. And he literally had his arm. He was hunched behind David Bowie, had his arm pulled through into the costume, and he no was doing way. that contact juggling blind. That's so cool. There's some hilarious behind the scenes uh, when, I believe it's when he catches up with Hoggle by himself mm-hmm. and he turns the ball into the peach and throws it to uh-huh. him. Yeah. They had just a big box next to him full of these balls and he would just pick one up and try and do the little like flick out of the wrist yeah uh and fuck up and so he would just grab another one and reset and do it again and again Uh, and again so you got this outtake of david bowie standing there getting really bored and like laughing at the dude and like giggling (laughs) that he can't do it (laughs) that's funny uh, as like weird and I- inconsequential as like some of the scenes feel like I think the fiery scene kind of comes a- like out of nowhere and that one yeah, like, is, is pretty it's cool nowhere. it's a it's it's a uh it's a spectacle it's a it's a visual marvel and I'm sure it would have been real fucking impressive uh at the time when we didn't have better things to compare it to I guess in terms of uh, visual effects and compositing and stuff but it also uh, the the like the the last act where they they reach the the castle and stuff and you finally get like the 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 goblin army mm. uh, attacking and stuff that's really exciting and really cool yeah that stuff's really exciting yeah I think the fireies is really the lowest point in the movie I think it's also the worst song of the film ah absolutely it's yeah. not it's there's nothing special about the song and yeah it really doesn't doesn't really it, it drive almost feels forward. like, it, like you know how, again um, like it, it 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 should like it's that's not necessarily a problem in like what I was saying. It's got that Alice in Wonderland quality where none of the chapters in Alice in Wonderland really drive the story forward at all. But yeah, of course, it's just not as fun as any of the other sequences. No, it, it feels like I think I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head. But I feel like there's a thing with with Disney movies or musical kids musical cartoon movies where there's at least one song that's usually sung by like a comic relief or like goofy kind of character. Yeah. That is always the low point or like the shit song, the kind of annoying song that the parents know they're going to be hearing in the fucking car. 
<laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I'll, I can throw my hand in the ring for that one. I'd say the um the gold song from Pocahontas is terrible, where they're like digging and stuff. And the villain's okay, talking I haven't about, seen Pocahontas. Okay. And then the song in Mulan where they're talking about having a girl worth fighting for. Oh, at a home. girl worth fighting for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that's think- so trash when you compare it to like the Make a Man song and the yeah. Reflection song. Those are like some of the most stunning songs performed in a Disney movie. And then it just has one of this absolute turd, boring, comedic ones. Yeah, I think there's a similar track in Princess and the Frog. I think when they're like in the swamp, oh, there's that a, whole movie like a goofy is, song. Is, is a uh, yeah, I, that le- leaves me leaves me wanting. <laughs> there are aspects of that movie that I really like. Anyway, I'll bring it back to to Labyrinth yeah, and yeah, just say like back, we talked about the crystal ball scene uh, with the the masquerade party. That mm-hmm. scene doesn't really drive the story forward at all, but it's fucking no, cool true. and entertaining. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's got a really cool song and really cool visuals, and you're you're mm-hmm. just like fixated the whole time. And the fire is it's, just yeah. it's hypnotic. It feels it, well. I mean, she's been pu- at that point. It doesn't drive the the plot forward, but it feels uh, like plot relevant. Mm. Like yeah, she's well, been it, poisoned. She's having just, this 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 trippy uh, dream sequence, and it turns. But if you boil it down uh, to it, it's like this is a. End. It's just a conflict that it's like okay, she's got her overall goal. She needs to try and get away from this situation to keep going to her normal goal. And the fireys do yeah. that where they're trying to pull her head off and dance with her, and she's like, get, "Let me alone! I need to get yeah, out of but, here." And so yeah, then, but it's but it's even more nonsensical. Yes, but then she gets poisoned, and so it's like, yeah, she needs to wake up again. And then we get the scene mm. after that with the the hoarders, and that is yeah. lit- literally the same th- thing. Of it doesn't really drive the story forward. Besides, this is another conflict that she needs to try and escape from to keep going yeah, on her quest. Yeah, but those ones but it, don't. Uh, I don't know that don't that stuff, that, those. Well, I feel like it's those conflicts feel relevant to the character, like and and relevant to her. Yeah, no, that's true. There growth. is there is some sort of subtext there about her growth. Yeah, in in that conflict, uh, in but in both of those, in there the was no foreshadowing in, about in her not being able to take her, her head, head off. off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no. When they get to the castle, that's so cool. The the big knight, oh, the uh, big, robot, big suit of armor thing. Yeah, yeah, dude. Is made up of the two doors. They come together. Yeah, I see. I did not remember that. I, I didn't remember any of the um the castle stuff, uh, except for the. It's the, just really cool and really big, fun and hectic and chaotic stairs. The, um, the, yeah, the knights yeah, super fun. that have their, like, lances and they're on the little dinosaurs, they're super cool yeah, and cute. And it's yeah. done like all of those uh, Halloween costumes that you see now where it's like Mario oh, riding like Yoshi, someone, yeah, but it's yeah. the your legs go into the, the, the costume of Yoshi, but then your arms mm-hmm. are the Mario part of the costume. Yeah. It's just I, I done like the, that. Um, very, very simple. And there's some really cool designs like the, uh, like the gun turret, Goblin, yeah, it's just, just like this, got a like gun. this walking suit of armor <laughs> cannon thing with a machine gun, yeah, uh, that gets crushed. That was really cool, and heaps of heaps of fun gags. Them and the um, what's his name? Sir, Sir Didymus, and it's he's running Sir off. Didymus, and- yeah, yeah, <laughs> and him, him like. Ambrosia trying to get his dog, dog back and running, running along on the and dog just the and fact stuff, that he's a little cute. dog knight that has riding another a, dog. A dog. <laughs> and that's really impressive when they switch between the real dog that has a little puppet and on its puppet back dog. and then the puppet dog. Yeah. It's seamless. We should really quick before we get to talking about like the, the kind of like finale and stuff, mm-hmm. the introduction of Sir Didymus in the, what is it called? The Bog of Eternal, Eternal Stench. Stench. Yeah. I was ashamed by the how much I was laughing at the fucking, <laughs> not even fart jokes, just fart sounds. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, 
all right, Connor, come on, you're 27, mate. And then <laughs> and then uh, Ludo goes to walk across him and it's making a fart noise every time he steps on him. I was like, okay, can't. All right. And then and then like like trying to hide laughter from myself. And then a Roger runs then across him really dog, fast. When the dog runs across and it's going. I fucking, I was like, get fucked, cunt. God damn it. All right, you got me. Yeah, funny fart sound. Thanks, Jim oh, Henson. That still holds up. Oh, it holds up, and I can just imagine <laughs> fart, like, fart kids fucking funny. howling, <laughs> laughing at that shit as a kid. You know? And then, yeah, we get super cool special MC Escher painting as a set. Oh, dude, that is spectacular. Like, the, the bits where he's like walking around it and uh, there's that one shot where he, yeah, where he flips like all the way around it in like one smooth kind of step. Yeah. God damn, dude. That's, it's so cool. Like really simple, just like shooting that set from funny angles and like occasionally like putting the camera upside down. Yeah, to make it look yeah. like they're upside down. It's like super besides, creative and, and uh, resourceful. Besides that one shot where he does do the flip, everything else is just, oh yeah, just walk on this part of the steps and we'll just rotate it 40, like 90 degrees. So yeah. it looks like you're walking up the wall. And, and how do they down. do the the stuff where there's like the shots where he's in the foreground, she's in the in the background, the baby's fucking off in the side, and there's like they look like they're on different planes and stuff. That would that that would be probably another sort of double exposure where it's just oh yeah the f- like this half of the frame we shoot this part of the set, and then this right. other half of the frame we shoot the set like this, and we reset mm. it and do it from a different angle. Okay, cool. Uh, that 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 whole sequence uh, had me just utterly engrossed and and even like little effects like the uh where he like th- throws the the crystal ball and it like it bounces, bounces up, up the stairs steps into the baby's hands that's literally all like, they did was uh, you know you just like reversed it yeah they literally just got the, they gave it, it to the baby perfect. and let the baby drop it and it rolled down the stairs it's it's just a uh i don't know they got a really fucking good take of that baby dropping the ball exactly oh going all the way back to the beginning of the movie with the first mm. uh, musical number dance magic dance Feel mm-hmm. sorry for that bloody baby crying around all those little goblins, and it's like, yeah. I think that kid's legitimately frightened by all of these <laughs> fucking scary little puppets. And I don't blame him. Again, I think the thing that freaked me out as a kid, I, I didn't like seeing the baby distraught. I didn't yeah. like seeing the baby upset um, and getting kidnapped and stuff. It really freaked me out. Yeah, the baby being really upset, you really identify with that, and you imagine yourself as a young child in that situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's yeah, bloody yeah. frightening. Yeah, and I think I think uh, when I saw this, I was four, so my uh, younger sister, Cat, would have just been born. So I was thinking, oh, what if this happened to Cat? You know? Yeah. And yeah, really, really freaked me out. And you're like, I don't, I'm not, I don't have enough courage to go on this quest to save my yeah, baby, yeah. baby oh, sister. Fuck, man, is this what being a sibling is? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I sign up for this. That uh, that last sequence though, uh, where she you know confronts the the Goblin King and yeah, stuff, and, and the, the, the extra stairs all like fall away, and, and just like yeah, r- a rotating, fucking, floating. It looks like a fucking bayonetta boss arena, dude. Yeah, that's looks what like they, a, that's like what they got a, from like a like a Devil May Cry yeah, kind of thing. Like it, it just does, looks video gamey as shit. Um, it kind of made me. Uh, I mean, uh, we talked about this movie being a, a, a cult classic. As I was watching this and and going like, oh, fuck, that looks like this. It got me thinking like, I wonder how much of a uh, cultural impact this movie has had, like how much of a an influence on popular culture and, and media and movies and fucking stories, books, video games. 
has this movie you know influenced going forward i'd really i'd, I'd be interested yeah it definitely uh, in a lot of different facets would have it would be hard to to really break down like where where it all spun off into different things but yeah really cool final sequence ends really nicely and that last and bit like probably my favorite song is that final is the the Escher stairs bit? Yeah, that song. Um, yeah, I move the stars for no one. <laughs> no one, yeah. Fucking hell. The, <laughs> the Labyrinth soundtrack is legitimately one of my favorite. It would probably be in my top three David Bowie albums. I'm, I'm definitely going to cool give songs. it. I'm going to give it a, a few spins. I reckon uh, <laughs> after this, because um, I I've definitely got some of it stuck in my head. It's got that musical score quality that I really like listening mm-hmm. to to movie music, mm-hmm. but then. It's got that great David Bowie lyrics and that great sound of his voice. Yeah, and and is like it a falsetto instrumentation? Why is it's it's? Uh, I actually don't know. It's it's high ish. That's all I can. Yeah, yeah. Like whenever I've heard the term falsetto used in regards to the music I consume, being heavy metal and stuff, it's like the really high, like the Judas really high Priest, screaming Rob Halford yep. kind of like yeah, that shit. <laughs> right. Yep. Ask the wrong person. Yeah, ask someone with taste. <laughs> uh, and then that last sequence in her bedroom is just like really sweet. Yeah, it's like when she's looking at the mirror, she's like, you know, if you ever need us, and it's like, I do need you. <laughs> and it turns around and there's a party. I was like, I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, fuck, I'll give you that one. You got me cut. <laughs> Have a party. It's super sweet. Yeah, it's a nice little story that she's learned to grow up and be less of a, a bratty uh, kid, but. It's it still is says you don't need to throw away all of it. You can still you can still have a fondness yeah. for this stuff and yeah yeah or like um, you know maybe take down your little knights of the round table teddy bear display above your bed, but you know <laughs> keep keep the rest of it. Well, I think it it it's uh, uh, maybe maybe and we keep fucking doing this. I know, <gasps> but maybe in a similar a way similar to Field of Dreams, yeah, um, like having that like like. You've grown up or you've got to grow up a bit, but uh, it, that doesn't mean ignoring like the the magic inherent in yeah. in life. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, or denying yourself a, a bit of, you know, fantasy or escapism and stuff. Yeah, that's right. And that's what we definitely do here. Fucking I. Big, big supporter of that. Yeah, really cool movie. Can totally see the appeal. We'll absolutely rewatch it. Might skip the fiery song if I listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. I was going to say fast forward through the movie. That's that's a bit of a dog move, but yeah, through a soundtrack, no, no, that's no. fair enough. I, I uh, that. And uh, and I will absolutely continue to be ashamed of how how funny I find the, the fart <laughs> scene. Oh God, I forgot. Oh, one of the best moments is when the crystal ball, is it just before the cleaners, they see the crystal ball rolling down and Hulk was like, oh no, and they follow it and it goes inside like the cup of this little puppet that's like a beggar and then he stands up and it's Jareth. Yeah, yeah, that's a really cool. It's really, really cool. cool. And then it's followed with, he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, nothing. And he's like, nothing. 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 Tra la la. It's the stupidest fucking line. <laughs> Should, Nothing, uh, Tralala. He <laughs> should use that. People, uh, like, if you ask someone how they like how they do it or what they're up to, and you're like, oh, nothing. Nothing. Like, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing Tralala. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, I feel like too. Um, I, I've been. I went back and watched uh, a, a bunch of Monty Python stuff recently, oh, and yep. the um, the little exchanges uh, between some of the puppets, the more like Britishy yeah. kind of sounding ones. 
yeah, it's got uh, that kind of reminded me a bit of that vibe. Has to that it. kind of back and forth? Yeah, similar humor. Yeah, dude, I want to. I for for quite a while now, I've wanted a clock that has thirteen numbers on it, and I get a custom made hey, clock because he's like, you just have thirteen hours to get clock. to the labyrinth. And he like, I love that he he points to it, and the clock has thirteen hours on it, not twelve. It's it's just so simple and cool. <laughs> it's uh, and I was like, yeah. you could make a custom clock that it would speed up just for that one hour. So that when it got to 13, it would actually mm. be 12.30 and then like tw- 13.30 would be quarter to one and then for the I, rest of the clock it would go back to the normal. Uh, I, that would just make me twice a day I would be reliably confused. Okay, cool. And I, I already spend large portions of my day confused. That's I don't, all right, Clark. It's, it's not your clock. It's not going to be hanging in your wall. It's going to be hanging <laughs> in my wall. So <laughs> okay, don't fucking yeah. shit on my dreams. All right. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. It's a clock for smart people. You have to be very intelligent <laughs> to, to understand, understand this clock. clock. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that stood out to me that was a little bit unfortunate is uh, the scene <gasps> I think when, I know she, what you're gonna say. when she first finds Ludo. Yeah, And there's those little, very cool design, little knight, the goblin knights, and they've got the little... They've got sticks with the little uh, like monsters on like the end that bite. Little gremlins. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. That, that, that every aspect of that scene is really cool, except the voices. Yeah, the voices. They're just a bit like oh, they're a little do bit a funny Asian voice caricature. Yeah, they were just like do yeah. do a funny silly voice, and they just did yeah, a really yeah. bad which Asian voice. Would have would have which um, I I I I I I will say that would have been fine had they not. Like put in like I think at one point he's one of them says like teriyaki or something yeah yeah like if they hadn't if they just just don't touch the the the, the culinary side of things like the voice <laughs> is fine they're otherworldly you can we could have they're not otherworldly when you start like exactly when you talk about fried rice just saying yeah when you just start saying Asian dishes that that's where it goes like you go ah yeah you go dude that's unfortunate <laughs> yeah everything else. Everything else is fine. Keep yeah, it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Bowie <laughs> having a huge bulge in his like tights. <laughs> Fucking, I'd, I'd heard, who cares about a kids' movie? That's I'd heard legend of the uh, <laughs> of the bulge, uh, and and yeah, notices bulge. Ooh, ooh, there it is, and it is fucking pronounced, dude. I feel like it's not as pronounced as I remember. I think that people blow it up to be so big. But it's like well, it's- like yeah, I I had myself prepared for it to be like the outline of his cock along like the leg, a <laughs> leg of the pan, <laughs> and it's not quite that. It's just like a cod piece or something. But it's but it's yeah. like it's there. You get it's, why it's the jokes uh, exist. Totally. But yeah, uh, I I really enjoyed this. I I was glad to come back to it, or I was glad to experience it completely uh, anew. And yeah, I reckon it'll reckon it'll be one that I definitely come back to. I will always be coming back to this movie. I shall return to the labyrinth. Well, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to support us, uh, a new thing you can do at this point oh, is we've got a little tip you. jar kind of system up on Patreon. Uh, you can chuck us uh, as little as $3 a month if you would like to support us and get some cool little bonus shit Little bonus well. shit, like if you mm-hmm. enjoy collecting comics and you like those alternate limited edition covers, you can you can see alternate thumbnail arts of all the episodes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we'd love to know what you thought of this week's episode or any episode for that matter. Uh, you can hit us up on Rose Tint Review on Twitter or Rose Tinted Review on Facebook and Instagram. What do you want to ask him, Connor? Oh, what is your favourite song from the Labyrinth oh, movie? Nice. Or, alternately, favourite puppet, favourite creature design? Mm, mm, nice. I Either. feel I, I feel like the the hands, the, the helping hands is my favourite, like, set piece from the from the Labyrinth. 
Yeah, and and I'm th- I'm obsessed with the little eye, the bushel of eyeballs. <laughs> I really like that. Uh, it kind of looks like a Sepultura album. <laughs> Definitely the final song uh, is my favorite for me. But in terms of puppet, it's hard to say. I'm maybe go between uh, the riddle dudes at the door. They're ah, pretty yeah. fun. Or just mm-hmm. for cuteness factor, the little worm. Ah, yeah, the worm's like- cute. Uh, yeah, I reckon favorite song for me at this point would probably be when the world falls, falls down. down. That's a yeah, that's a close second. Yeah, Although I do like yeah, the um, just because that's the one I'm the most familiar with. I like the intro one, the "It's Only Forever" in I'm the underground. Not that familiar with that one. That's cool. I like that one as well. Cool, good one. Uh, all right, what are we hitting next, dude? Next week, not related to this, but I was I was thinking about how you picked Pirates of the Caribbean because you said, "Hey, this is something that." you're more fond of that I don't have a lot of context for and this is kind of my like in-between point. Yeah, I was this thinking is, that, you, that was my in into yeah, that world. That was your like, oh, I kind of understand this. You yeah. you like your your slasher horror flicks. Yes. And I have not seen many of them. But I'll tell you what I do love. I love a good sci-fi action flick. So I Ooh, thought okay. what, what does both of those together is the very first Terminator Oh, fucking A, dude. Yes. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, 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 my God. Yeah, dude. All right. Yeah, I'm really I'm really excited for that. Fuck yeah. Slasher robot from the future. He's literally just invincible like Jason, but st- has story context for being bullshit. Yeah, I was going to say, has has context and was designed that way it's just instead not, of- Ooh, magic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And not like, like, ooh, magic after like five or six movies- they yeah. decided, oh wait, here's magic. Yeah, it just it just keeps getting more bizarre and more bizarre as the movies goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Then again, uh, did you think I was gonna say Jason X for a second? Because that that one's a sci-fi. No, <laughs> no, I didn't. I not in a million years would I have thought you would suggest we watch Jason X well, no, for I this have, podcast. I don't have any fond memories of it. Like no nostalgia for it. Neither have I watched it at all. So that would be a I bit have, of a weird one. I have watched it. I have fond memories of it, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, we do suggest that you watch the Terminator uh, in the lead up to listening to the episode because you do get that that hot context. But That's fuck, right. man, if you haven't seen the Terminator, what are you doing? What have you been doing up until this point in it's your better life? Better than four of the other ones. Uh, yes. How many fucking Terminator movies are there There's at this point? Six Terminator movies now. Ooh. Don't don't sound too excited. None of none of them no, are good. No, no, no. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the. I, I've only seen up to the third. All right. So join us next time when we will find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020, or if we've just been wearing rose-tinted glasses. You've run so long.